0: Holy Gospel of our Savior Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Christ. Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this must never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Then Jesus told his disciples, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world, but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life for the son of man is to come with his angels in the glory of his father and then he will repay everyone for what has been done truly I tell you there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the son of man coming in his kingdom the gospel of the Lord praise to you O Christ So today's Hebrew Scriptures text is the wonderful story of Moses and the burning bush. That story picks up when Moses was on the run. He's hiding out in the sticks in the wilderness of Midian because he's murdered an Egyptian. Moses had seen that Egyptian beating one of Moses' kinfolks, another Hebrew, and so Moses kills him and then has to run to escape the authorities. Moses decides to settle down in Midian, he gets married, he becomes a shepherd, he's far away from Egypt, he's safe, but he's still pretty anxious. And that's where today's story picks up. Moses sees a bush, flaming on fire. He turns to check it out. He finds that the bush is not being consumed by the flame, and then God speaks to Moses, Out of the bush. Now in my mind I've always sort of pictured this as uh, miraculous just uh, in the uh, flames emerging. I sort of picture a like a verdant green you know arborvitae uh, you know going poof uh, and it's up in flame Um, and so the very fact that it's on fire is surprising. But that's not at all accurate, um, I don't think. Um, Moses is out in a dry desert wilderness. Uh, A commentator I read this week uh, pointed out that Moses probably saw brush fires and bushes burning all the time. The fact that the bush was burning wasn't necessarily anomalous. But Moses stopped and he noted that the bush was not consumed by the flame. The fire was not the miracle. The indestructibility of the bush, that was the miracle. And Moses would have missed it entirely had he not stopped to check it out. Were it not for Moses' curiosity, maybe he never receives his call to lead the Hebrew people to freedom. Curiosity is, I think, an undervalued trait. It can feel almost irresponsible at times, at least to me. Uh, Moses had things to do, right? Why should he stop and look at a shrub? Um, And beyond that, um, I think life often conspires at times to take away our sense of curiosity. I know for me, uh, when I'm anxious or overworked, I sometimes don't feel like I have the luxury of entertaining a curiosity. I need to get on to the next thing to get things done or because I'm just worried. Um, And then, of course, there's times when we're down or depressed, and our curiosity just gets lost. It's gone. Um, You know, we don't find ourselves believing that there's something good to be found, so why go looking for it with curiosity? Um, Curiosity, in some ways, is an act of trust. Um, Trust that there's something interesting or life-giving to be found. Trust that um, that we can find God in new places, that, that new adventures, new blessings and new miracles, new amazing things are out there if we stop and go to that new place or check out that new thing. And so curiosity really is a spiritual virtue and maybe even a spiritual practice. Uh, And by that I mean something that we need to do even if we're not feeling like doing it. You know, if we're in that moment of anxiety or moment of despair or depression, um, even then um, maybe we need to sort of build practices to act curious even if we're not totally feeling that way. You know, it's lovely when we have the spark of curiosity and it just flourishes. but, I, you know, I, I sort of wonder, you know, in that moment, did Moses really want to stop, or was it just he sort of, uh, some he built a practice of looking for where God was, regardless of how he was feeling that particular moment. Rabbi Lawrence Kushner um, once described the burning bush in sort of a similar fashion. Um, he said it was a test, um, more so than a miracle. And he writes, God wanted to find out whether or not Moses could pay attention to something for more than a few minutes. When Moses did, God spoke. The trick is to pay attention to what is going on around you long enough to behold the miracle without falling asleep. There is another world right here within this one whenever we pay attention. Paying attention and curiosity, they're sort of uh, uh, interrelated uh, traits. You know, those that are curious pay attention to the things in their world. And paying attention, when we do it, breeds further curiosity. Um, And then when those two things come together, we get to see those amazing realities that we couldn't see before that are right there in front of us. The next moment in the story, I also love um so M- Moses' curiosity and paying attention leads him to hear God in this burning bush. God calls out to Moses, Moses says, "Here I am, and then God, in perhaps history's most notable moment of fashion advice, tells Moses to take off his shoes why it wasn't like the ground around the bush was all that clean, so it wasn't like God was uh you know doing home you know uh wanting to make, just avoid vacuuming. Uh, well, the most standard and probably most accurate uh, explanation for this is that in ancient Near Eastern worship spaces, shoes would be removed as a sign of reverence and respect in, you know, in temples and such, um, both uh, in, in, you know, Egypt and lots of the varying ritual spaces of, of that da- time. So, uh, this spot beyond the wilderness was being identified by God in this moment as full of God's presence, just like some formal ritual space. Um, that's probably the best explanation. Um, but what I found myself wondering about this week, uh, uh, uh an idea that I like more, um, is that maybe there's something earthy and organic to this moment, um, that God was invited Moses to let his feet sink into that same ground where the roots of that burning bush lay. I like this personally as someone who likes to be barefoot, uh, at least when it's warm enough. Um, I like to walk around on earth or grass or sand. Um, There's something about that that uh, I don't really almost have words for it. Maybe it's um, breaking down a little bit, Uh, the divide between me and the world that God's created, Um, that world in which uh, we find God so often. You know, I think uh, that maybe God says, take off your shoes, this is holy ground. Not so much because God is anti-footwear and demanding respect, um, but more because God wants Moses to connect with that moment and that space more deeply to remove barriers and to sink in. When Moses sinks in, he then hears his call. He gets to know the heart of God. God says, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppress them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Sometimes spirituality and justice get pitted as sort of opposites, as things you you do one or the other, and they they conflict with each other. Um, Or maybe contemplation and action are seen as connected, but sort of on two different poles of the life of faith. Um, But here, they get pretty uh, closely intertwined, sort of two sides of the same coin. When Moses has this deep and profound and intimate meeting with God, the outcome isn't some sort of self-involved, placid uh, quietude that Moses gets for himself. No, that what happens is sort of the, the fledgling desire for justice that played out horribly in Moses' youth when he murdered the Egyptian who was mistreating the Hebrew. Here, that flawed passion of his for righteousness and justice meets up with God's perfect passion. God's passion for justice and righteousness and, com- and compassion. God says, I have observed the misery. I have heard their cry. I know their sufferings. I have come down to deliver them. 3,000 years ago God sent Moses, now God sends us. We too come to God. We too meet God when we are curious, when we pay attention, when we are open to the moments in which God places us and we sink into. But our moments with God won't lead us in uh, they won't leave us in a sort of a state of detached bliss, detached from other people detach from both others' sufferings and their joys. No, the more we come to God, the more God's heart becomes our heart. The more God's compassion becomes our compassion, the more God's love becomes our love. And then we find ourselves called to the Egypts of our day. God hears the cries of black and brown people in our time. God calls us there whether that's our skin color or not. God knows the sufferings of trans and non-binary people. God calls us there whether we have a queer friend or not. God observes the misery of our planet that is so ravaged by human rapaciousness. God calls us into solidarity with Mother Earth. God comes down to deliver all that are oppressed. We have no choice but to be there too.